Hebrews 11, please, if you can turn there in your Bible, also joining us at home. It's wonderful to have you with us this morning. Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, faith lessons in 2023 has been our theme for the last five or six weeks. And we have seen examples of Old Testament believers who exemplify godly faith. Uh, my definition for that kind of faith would be would be a trust, a reliance on God to make good on His promises even when we don't see any of the details. It's a, it's a recognition that God and His plans are eternal, but for us, we may only see what's happening in this earth. And so part of our purposes is hidden, if you like. We've seen some of our heroes walk through the wall of fame, the faith wall of fame. People like Enoch and Abel, Noah, Abram, last week Sarah. People who have trusted God and His promises. And today we come to the wonderful example of Joseph. And Joseph is a man who was no stranger to setbacks, to trouble, to hardship. And so I want us to pick up one single verse in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 22. It should be on the screen. It says this. It says, By faith Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. The story, the backstory of Joseph is wonderfully captured in Genesis 37 all the way through to chapter 50. Relax, we're not going to read that this morning. But I'm going to try and give you a very short summary. And that's where I want to go this morning, is just to give you a reminder. Many of you will know the story of Joseph, give you a reminder of his story. But then I really want to hone in on some applications for our lives. So here we go. Joseph, we know that he was one of Jacob's 12 sons. And scripture tells us that he was his favorite son. Uh, Joseph so much gave him a, a cloak, a colored cloak. And, and I think it's, it's fair to make the summary that Joseph was quite a, a cocky little guy. And he knew that his dad loved him more than his brothers. And so they were jealous of him uh, to the point that they wanted to kill him. But in the end, decided to sell him into slavery in Egypt. And so Joseph, off to Egypt he goes. Eventually, he becomes a steward to Potiphar. Potiphar was one of Pharaoh's officials. And in that context, he was seduced by Potiphar's wife. Not the easiest situations. And although Joseph stood the test, he was falsely accused. He ended up in prison. In prison, his big moment come when he interprets a dream for, for King Pharaoh, a dream that famine would come to the nations and that they would have to prepare for seven years of famine. Subsequently, the famine comes and this desperate time, so much so that Jacob sends his brothers to Egypt to stop them from starvation. Please go and fetch us some food. And lo and behold, they walk into Joseph. And eventually, Joseph dies without seeing Israel freed, without seeing Israel uh, coming back to the promised land. 
But so utterly convinced, as we saw in that scripture, was he that this was going to happen, that he said, by the way, when that happens, won't you take my bones with me, with you, and bury it in Israel? And so that is exactly what happened four centuries later, 400 years later, when Moses returned with Joseph's bones. And so there you have a one-minute summary into the story of Joseph. And so I want to ask this question. So what is the faith lesson for us today? What are we going to learn today from this remarkable man? Well, it is simply this. It is to live without regret. It is to live without regret. If I had to do a snap survey here this morning and I had to ask the question, would any of you like to live without regret? I'm utterly convinced that all of you would raise your hands. We all want to live without regret. And so to try and help us this morning, I want to point us to three phrases, uh, phrases that I think most of you would have heard of or of vaguely familiar with three phrases but I want to say that if we build our lives on these three phrases we will live a life without regret and I'm also going to attempt to show you how Joseph in fact built his life on these three phrases so what are they? here they are Dio Valente Carp Diem and Conbrio Dio Valente, let's start there and look at James chapter 14, verse 13 to 15. James chapter 4, verse 13 to 15. It says this, verse 13. Now listen, you say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will do this or do that. Dio valente is a dependency phrase. It is a phrase that describes our total dependency on our Creator. It's as simple as that. Without God, there is no life. And James very smartly warns us against pride and all this talk of, I'm going to go there and I'm going to buy this and I'm going to make money. Yeah. James says there's a much better way to live. The way that we should be going about life is of a deep awareness of a total dependency on God. A deep awareness of a total dependency on God. Dio valente, God willing we will live. God willing, we will wake up tomorrow morning. God willing, we will have health and energy. God willing, we will make plans and execute them. We do not live because we want to. We live because God has given us the gift of life. Dio Valente. It's a dependency on God. It's your breath in our lungs we sing. And my friends, this kind of living, this kind of thinking comes so contrary to, what's, to what is naturally to me, at least, and I think I've got some partners in crime in this room, what comes naturally to us, because what comes naturally to us is to be in control. 
is to take charge of our lives, is to make these plans and desire this, but ultimately to be behind the steering wheel. And that's where it went wrong for Adam and Eve. They did not partake of the hidden fruit because they were forbidden fruit because they were hungry. There was abundance for them. They took part of the forbidden fruit because they wanted to be like God. They wanted to be in control. And we all act like many gods from time to time. We want to place ourselves at the center of our lives. And my friend, that place, the center of your life, is exclusively reserved for God. And God alone. And so we want to be sovereign. We want to be worshipped. We want to be independent. We want to take credit for what only God can, deserves credit. We want to complain when we don't get our way. And so in living for our glory, we steal the glory of God. There is only one, as we sang this morning, who is ultimate in glory, ultimate in beauty, ultimate in creation and in, in greatness, ultimate in perfection. Everything comes from him, everything is through him, everything is for him. Romans eleven thirty six tells us. All life is found in him. And so to live for God's glory is not just about being spiritual. It is about recapturing our humanity because this is the way that we, will, that we were designed to live. Dio valente. God willing. You will determine my steps. You will make a path for me. You will decide where and how I spend my days. My friends, that's what it means to live a life and to have faith in God for that future life. It is a future on His terms, not ours. And Joseph got this. He understood that this promise from God to Abram and his descendants was the starting point of a new life of faith for him. He could look 400 years down the corridors of time and he could see that God was going to rescue Israel. He was going to store, restore Israel to the promised land. Joseph was so utterly convinced about that that he reiterated that promise just before he died. And he even gave instructions about how his burial needs to happen. He was utterly convinced that God was going to restore Israel. And he didn't allow any setbacks to do what you and I do so well, we, we, we tend to take back the controls from God, don't we? After everything that Joseph had been through, slavery, being in prison, you would have thought he had the right to say, God, won't you just step aside for a moment? Uh, you're not doing a great job in my life. Do you mind if I have a go? Maybe my version of my life will look better than your vision for my life. No, no, Joseph did none of this because he knew that placing his life in God's hands does not guarantee you a smooth life. Kim and Mariska, go ask them. They will tell you this. Many others in this congregation. You live for God. You put your life in God's hands. It does not guarantee you a smooth life. But he also knew that placing his life in God's hands was the only way to live because it's the only way to live without regret. He understood that because he had absolute, that because he had absolute faith in, in God that he could endure setbacks. He embraced setbacks 
because he had absolute faith in God's eternal plan for his life. I want to ask you this morning, like I've been asking myself, are you living like someone who has absolute faith in God's eternal plan for your life? Because my friends, if you do, everything changes. Absolute faith in God's eternal plan for your life. A while back I was watching one of our grandchildren uh, giving her parents a really hard time when she needed to take some medicine. And she knew uh, that the medicine wasn't tasting that great, you know, and so she was fighting them every step of the way and they tried every trick in the book and they just did what parents would do. You are sick. This is your condition. I have the medicine. You need to take the medicine and you're going to be fine. All they wanted in that moment was the best for her. But she wouldn't want any of it. She didn't understand it and didn't want to taste this horrible stuff. And I was, it made me thought that in the same way, God knows what is best for me. He knows what is best for you. I may not get it. I may not trust Him at times. I certainly don't understand all of it. But God knows what is best for me. And Joseph got this. It may have taken him decades. But he was able to see through slavery and imprisonment. He was able to see that what God's purpose for his life was good. That God's version for his life was good. And through all of that, through Joseph being able to look down the corridor of time, it allowed him to do things that would save countless lives. And maybe God will reveal to you, at least in part, why you are suffering this morning or why you are confused this morning. But to be honest, He may not. We may never know. In this lifetime, God's eternal purposes for our lives. But that doesn't mean that we give up. Joseph had to be in a place, whether it's in slavery or sitting in a jail when he wasn't even guilty, and he had to work through that and say, God, I continue to trust you. I'm building my life on you. I'm not running from you. I'm running to you. And while it is incredibly frustrating when we don't get answers from God, as we sang this morning, He deserves our praise because He did the ultimate thing for us. So committed was God for you and I to have a intimate, warm relationship with him that he, he stopped short of nothing. He was willing to send his son to die on the cross so that we can be reconciled to God. Friends, can there be anything better than that? We may take some bumps along the way. We may not understand it. You may be scratching your head this morning, but don't walk away from that truth. Our God rescuing mankind. He's a good father who works in our hearts. And the story of Joseph reminds us this. Yes, there will be some trials along the way. But it's going to be okay. And you ask me, Christo, how can you be so sure that it's going to be okay? Because I know God's with me when it, the going gets tough. He is right beside us. 
And not only that, I know that our story doesn't matter what it looks like this morning. If you had to wake up in Turkey or Syria this morning or Ukraine, and you're a follower of Christ, you know that our story will end well. There will be a day when there's no tears or pain or heartache. That day will come, my friends. That's no negotiation. Non-negotiable. The day will come when you and I will be with our Father forever. And it's going to be glorious. And does that mean we can put up with some trouble along the way? Yes, it does. God made a way for us to live forever, worshipping Him the way that we were designed from the very beginning. We're going back to our roots. And so don't give up on God. For some of us this morning, you may want to hear, sometimes God will make you wait. Let me tell you, it's the hardest thing to do when God asks us to wait. Uh, yes, God, I'll wait, but which five steps can I take while I'm waiting? No, no, there are no steps. You wait. You surrender your life. And then you sit tight. Because God will teach you stuff when you wait. You can ask Joseph. Joseph had to learn humility. That takes time. In my life, I had to learn humility. And it's taking time. It's one of the hardest things we have to learn is humility. I can believe in my head that, that God is my Savior, that I love Him, that I worship Him. But friends, sometimes in my heart I feel so far away, it's scary. Humility. Without humility, you will never live a life without regret. It's impossible. So sometimes we have to wait. There was nothing that Joseph could do to hurry that process. Tried as he made, he was the best possible prisoner. He was the best possible slave, but he was still stuck. He had to wait while God was doing open heart surgery on him. He may have felt powerless at times. But when God was finished with him, he was utterly dependent on him. A life without regret. A life fully sold out to God. Of course we're looking forward to the day when everything is going to come to an end and we're going to spend eternity with him. Dio Valente, because God is in control and His will for my life is the best. American golfer Scotty Scheffler, who is currently, by the way, the best golfer in the world, he's a top-ranked golfer in the world, number one. He tells a story of last year when he played in the Masters Tournament, which is, uh, for the non-golfers here, kind of the most prestigious golf tournament there is. And uh, Scotty uh, was leading off the three rounds. Golf is played over four rounds. I'm giving you a lot of extra information this morning, which I won't charge you for. But um, so came Sunday morning, and he's leading the Masters. This is, if you're an American kid, you're a golfer, this is what you live for, right? This is the biggest moment of his career. He's got a lead going into Sunday into the final round. And Sunday morning comes, and he sits with his wife, 
and he collapsed on his shoulder. They are devoted followers of Christ and he says, he turns to him and says, I don't think I can do this today. I feel totally overwhelmed. And she takes him and she begins to minister God to him. And she began to remind him, God is in control and his will for your life is the best, whether you win golf tournaments or not. And he said the deep sense that came on his heart was not just rest and calm and peace, but he began to realize that his life is not designed, is not destined by the score that he puts on his score sheet. That's trivial. But to live for his father, to surrender his will to his father, that's real life. And he said he went to the first tee where they started playing and he was still... He was feeling so much better, but he was, still, he was still anxious. And he walks onto the first tee box on that faithful Sunday afternoon. And in the Masters tournament, there's this custom where the caddies, the guys who carry the, the bags, the golf clubs, wear white overalls from top to, to, to toe. That's all you see is these white overalls. And he came to the first tee, and as he reached for his club, his carry ripped open his overall. In the words, God is in control. He ended up winning the tournament comfortably. But he said that was secondary. That day, he had to freshly surrender. God, you are in control and your will for my life, like Joseph, is the best. My friends, I wish I could say that I live like this. I so want to wrestle God's will away to my will. Uh, towards the end of last year, I was going through such, through such struggle because, you know, we come here as people mature and we, you know, the life that we had was perfectly planned and this is where you're going to retire and that's going to happen. All these boxes, I felt all, every box was ticked and I came here and every box was taken away. And I struggled with that. And I felt the Holy Spirit just tap me on the shoulder. Krista, can you just look at my track record in your life? Can we just start there? I said, oh God, I see how you, how you, this, and how you, everything, every box is your box, not mine. Yo, Valente, our life's in God's hands. Secondly, don't get nervous about your Sunday roast. The next two is much shorter. <laughs> Secondly, carp diem, which means seize the day or seize the moment. Make the most of every opportunity. Maximize your time on earth. And we see so many examples of this in the Bible. I think Moses, ex Moses in Exodus 14, where he takes the rod and he hits the water and the the water opens up for Israel, setting his people free. I think of Samson in Judges 15, where he sees the day when he grabbed the jawbone of a donkey. Don't try this on anybody, but he killed a thousand Philistines in one show, setting the people of Israel free. I think of Jesus in Matthew 21, walking into the temple, God's house of prayer, and he takes the whip and he chases the traitors out. This will be a house of prayer. I think of Joseph in Genesis 41, 
at age 30, he's finally freed from prison. And what does he do? He seizes the moment. He leads the team that prepares for seven years of famine. He makes sure that Israel is well stocked. So well stocked that not only were they able to meet their needs, but those nations around him, including, by the way, Joseph's own family. And so his brothers return to the story when Jacob says, please go to Egypt, we are desperate for food. Who do they bump into? Well, Joseph, who by this is almost king. He's the governor of Pharaoh's house. And they don't recognize him because it's been a while. And Joseph recognizes them instantly. And in this moment, Joseph held all the aces. Revenge was at his fingertips. He could have got even with his brothers. He could have had them killed or locked away. Instead, what does he do? He chose mercy and grace. He forgave them and he fed them and he embraced them and he seized the moment to bring a reconciliation to that family. You will get moments where you can bring reconciliation to your sphere, to your family. Are you seizing this? Are you seizing those moments to bring healing to those relationships? I think of all the years that Elise and I have been involved in marriage counseling, so often I can divide it into two groups. Those that just carry on and those, then there's this, these few people who seized the moment when they were just hanging on by a thread, when the marriage was practically dead. And somehow, someone seized the moment and said something or did something that turned everything around. Are you seizing the moments to bring reconciliation to your relationships like Joseph did? Are you seizing the moment to point others to Jesus and to the message of the gospel? Are you seizing these moments because, my friends, they will come when we grab hold of life and we don't squander these opportunities to seize the moment to point somebody to the message of Jesus. Ten years into our marriage, Elise and I were living in different cities for a while because of work. And she phoned me the one morning and she said, I've just been to a church just come out of a church service. I want to invite you. I'm inviting you to, as soon as you, we reunited, I'm going to invite you to this meeting. Now, I was so far from God. I was so rebellious. I was such a stranger to His ways. But I just said yes and kind of get it out my thought. And the day came that we were together. It's a Sunday morning. She said, you remember that promise? Yeah. So I went. For 10 years, she's never nagged me. She's never complained about me living a faithless life. But she sees the moment. 
and walks through the doors and a message that's preached that morning is evidence demands a verdict. I hear the gospel preached. And I knew my time was up. I was sitting on the fence too long. Somebody seized the moment and caused the rest to rescue and save me, change our lives forever. Are you seizing the moment in your spheres, friends? Because God will give you these moments. They will come. They will come. Even in the toughest of times, seize the moment. And then thirdly, this beautiful Italian phrase, conbrio, which is a musical term. And it shows how, it tells how a musical composition should be interpreted with enthusiasm and much conviction. Conbrio is all about our attitude. It says, do everything that you do with every little bit of enthusiasm that you have. Yes, Christo, when you study German. Right? Every bit of enthusiasm that you have, it's a word about passion, drive, total commitment. Conbrio kicks this lukewarmness, I don't care kind of attitude, this listlessness. It kicks it into the butt. It declares war on mediocrity. And Joseph... It's such a beautiful example of this. He leaned into his relationship with God and he worked to the best of his ability. When he was an official in Pharaoh's house, he was amazing, Scripture tells us. Still he ends up in jail because of a false accusation. And what does he do in jail? Does he respond with bitterness? Does he complain? No, no. He works with total integrity, compassion, and commitment. And the result is that he's put in charge of all the prisoners. He is the go-to guy in prison. Whatever needed to be done was, was up to Joseph. And he gets the chance to interpret this dream. A dream that would change nations, change the destiny of nations forever. Man, you've been in jail for a while. You've been a slave for a while and you get out of there. Joseph had every right to say, let me just chill for a bit. Right? This has been hard work. I just want to, for a while, do nothing. And he comes out and he begins to build one of the best supply chains and infrastructures that would support nations with food. Total commitment. Hard working. Built an amazing infrastructure, worked tirelessly, did all of this, made sure that everybody around had every piece of food that they need. He could have com become complacent. He could have complained. He did none of that. He worked as if he was working for God. Total commitment. Worshipping God through his work. And we'll do well to learn from him today. And in work, I use it in the broadest possible term, whether you are a CEO of a company or somewhere in between, whether you are a mother or a father this morning responsible for taking care of your children. Let me say something about that because I've had some exposure to that. It is one of the toughest things there is to do, is to raise kids. 
He will need total compassion and passion and commitment and patience and perseverance. You need all of us. And God is giving you the opportunity to do that well. Why? Because we're doing it for Him. It's an expression of our worship. That's what work is. We've made something of work that it was never intended to be. The work that you and I do, whether we get paid for it or not, is an expression of our worship to God in such a way that other people around us will flourish. That's the biblical definition of work. That was the mandate to Adam and Eve. Work in such a way in this garden that everything around you will flourish for the glory of God. We've got so lost in that definition. We've reduced work to so much less than that. And if you're not convinced about Joseph, well, think about Jesus. There's an example for you. The commentators tell us he was an excellent craftsman. He was, a, he was a magnificent carpenter. Scripture tells us that he was an unbelievable communicator. I mean, he could hold the attention of thousands of people at one time. And he was a magnificent leader. He took a bunch of fishermen and in a few years turned them into the most powerful leadership team in the world. Why did Jesus do this? Was it to make him look good? did it because he worshipped God. That's the bar, my friend. You want to aim at something, aim at that. Otherwise, work will kill you and it will spit you out. But you go in there and you do it as best you can for the sake of others in worshipping God. Man, Monday morning is a cool place. Combrio. Total commitment to excellence. Let me land this. Joseph looks through the corridors of time. And he rises above all his other peers in the Old Testament. Just the most magnificent example of somebody who built his life on, on God. And places his life in his control. The steady reliance. Setbacks come, he keeps going. Slavery, prison, no, no. God, I'm giving you my life. You're in control. I trust you. I know there'll be good times. I know there'll be hard times. But it's not about my wants, my feelings, my joy. It's about you. It's not even about our personal satisfaction this morning. I'm not trying to steal you off that. I'm not saying that if you desire good relationships, a healthy body, and all those other things that we worship, that is not the problem. Listen carefully. The problem is when we replace God with those things that we run into trouble. God is cool with us having all those things and working hard towards them. But keep Him at the center. Like Joseph did. So it's not wrong to deny to desire those things, but we cannot allow them to rule our hearts because then we will come unstuck. Then it's all about us at the center. And we reduce God to this delivery system for our catalog 
of self-orientated needs. God do this, God do that, God do this. Hannah, James says there's a better way to live. Put your life in God's hands. Let him control. Let him allow you to build trust and faith in him. That is faith. God, I'm putting my life in your hands this morning and I'm stepping back because your will for my life is better than mine. Faith. He is the beginning. He's the center. He's the end of all things. His kingdom will come. His will be done. Diovalente. A total dependence on God. Conbrio. With all my heart. Captain. God, whatever gifts, opportunities you've given me, I want to maximize those this morning. God wants me to live. I grab hold of life. It's a life of surrender. It's a life without regret.